Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're, 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 tuned, you're tuned into It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. The top podcast covering the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. Hosted by Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata at Odyssey Sports Podcast. It's always game day in Cincinnati, Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. I felt like I was like a wrestling announcer. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing awesome. You know, I, I didn't realize it till today, but I got an awesome. Yeah, I got the second God of War video game coming out this week on the bye week. Uh, Black Panther comes out on the bye week. So there's there's quite a bit of cool stuff. They picked the right time for this bye week. It's perfect time for a bye week. You know when it's a perfect time for a bye week? When you're still battling a few injuries. Some of these guys could possibly come back after the bye. I think next week they do return to practice on Monday. Wednesday's the real deal. We'll get an injury update. And I think all eyes are on if DJ Reader's going to return. Zach Taylor did talk to the media yesterday, and he didn't say too much about Reader's return, but he felt it was going to be sooner than later, and that is a very smart move by the head coach. I wouldn't say a word about his return until you get into late next week because there was some optimistic uh, news as he's working on the side of practice today, uh, but still no, no timetable on his official return. But let's go back. Let's go back to the tape because when a team puts up 42 and there's three garbage touchdowns, too many people want to give Baker Mayfield credit for that, those 21 points. But again, he was playing the preseason squad. No offense to them. Uh, but let's go back to what this offense looked like early on in the game, what we saw from Joe Burrow. The offense was awesome. I think from the first snap or two. So the first play was just, they hit this the entire time. And I think if the game is competitive, T Higgins goes for over a hundred yards and who knows about touchdowns and all that, but he, he wasn't working down the field, but he was working that five to 10 yard window, especially that you know, 10 to 12 too. And uh, he, they were just isolation stuff because the Panthers, the way they like to play was they like to play quarters and cover three. So that corner is responsible for him no matter what, for the most part, as long as he's on the outside. So when he stresses him vertically, that's basically man coverage. And he was just snap he, at will. Whenever they wanted something, they got it with him. If they wanted eight yards, he got it. There's uh, plenty of plays like that. First play of the game was a five-yard uh, stop route and just easy. And then the second play was uh, an inside zone play to Joe Mixon. And this was one of the only poorly blocked plays of the game, in my opinion, because miscommunication and there's the Mike linebacker doesn't get blocked. He just comes right downhill. He's ready to meet Joe Mixon in the hole and Mixon puts a move on and makes a miss. I mean, we haven't seen that too often this year. And that's just, that sets the tone for the first play of the game. This is different from me. You know, that that's, this isn't going to be 
the same game that Joe Mixon has been giving us throughout the year. So I, I thought the first two plays of the game told the story basically of what the offense was going to do. They did some other interesting stuff, but I thought from a little bit of the schematic in the passing game and then from uh, how Joe Mixon was going to play throughout the day. So that, that I think – in the offense in a nutshell could be summed up there because there was so many isolations up to T and then Mixon obviously has the giant day other than the offensive line was incredible. I want to get to the offensive line in just a moment. And I know social media is sometimes they kind of cherry pick stats. And one of the things about Joe Burrow, you heard a lot when he had the weapons of T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and when Jamar Chase was healthy is, oh, he gets carried by those guys. But what we saw from Joe Burrow most of the season is he's had to carry the offense when he was out there, especially when the run game wasn't working. When you think of Joe Burrow's day, and I think you, you would have to be someone who didn't watch the game at all. To, to, to say anything or criticize anything that Joe Burrow did because that's ideal for me. That's ideal for your quarterback when you have a run game doing that. I know Joe said it on the sidelines. I want to say he was he said it's one of the players and a camera caught him saying if we run the ball like that, it's going to be really hard to beat us. And, yes, when you do that with your running back, um, this team is uh, it would be the best I, I always hate saying best in the NFL when it comes to the offense but yeah if you're rolling like that it's going to be really hard to beat this team what do you say to people when you look at Joe Burrow's game which I felt was fine it was almost like he got he got half of the day off which is really ideal when it's it's compared to other top quarterbacks right now in the AFC uh, yeah what Burrow did it was just incredibly efficient and he was very accurate. It, it, it was a, a, I, I want to say a minus type game from him. Nothing really bad. Uh, so cut out the idea of a turnover. And then he made some guys miss in the backfield. I think of uh, one play where he steps up. He actually misses an open Hayden Hurst, but that's because he has pressure from both sides. So he's just stepping up and getting rid of the ball. But he escapes those sacks, gets some positive yards there, uh, throwing dots at times where only Trent Taylor could get it, or was that Irwin? I can't remember. But one of them, and his foot came up just enough that they didn't count it. The Tyler Boyd play where they didn't count that. Otherwise, he ends the day with what three touchdowns and um, and a rushing touchdown. Yeah. So he was very good on his QB sneaks, although I think they always call those into some pretty good fronts other than maybe on the goal line. Uh, his QB sneaks, other than that, were if an A-gap was wide open, there was one yard. It's just like, yeah, I'm going to take that. and We'll just move the chains. So I thought he played really well. Um, I think the I, a lot of people have pointed out the two plays I just did with the sideline catches that didn't count as touchdowns. He had a throw on under center play action rolling to his right to Devin Asiasi. Yes. I think right on the money, in my opinion. And Asiasi just maybe it was like two inches overthrown, mm -hmm. but it's catchable. And Asiasi doesn't come down with it, goes through his hands on the diving catch. And I think if that's Hayden Hurst, that turns into maybe even a big touchdown play because it was wide open and Burrow did a really good job of throwing it. So I, I think there's some stuff on the film that says, yeah, his receivers are awesome. And one of them still left a play on the field that could have been made this day go from a good, efficient game into a great, awesome game. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was actually about to bring up the Aussie Aussie stuff because that happened right in front of me and it was nothing but green grass in the end zone. And you're right. I think if it was Hayden Hurst or any other receiver on the team, that that's six automatically but yeah I just missed him. But but you liked that throw from Burrow because I just at the time I just couldn't believe that he didn't catch it. Yeah, I liked it. I, I the only thing is maybe it was a couple inches overthrown, but that should still be a catch, in my opinion. It, it shouldn't have gone down as an incompletion. He's rolling to his right. I give him a little bit of leeway on the accuracy when you're rolling and throwing on the run. I think that it's possible that a, a tight end catches that in stride. A little bit of like uh Jamar Chase did that on that big touchdown against the Steelers last year, the first game where he just kind of like lunges and he still keeps his feet and keeps running, but uh, maybe they have to lunge to catch it, but it should still be a catch. Um, even if he has to dive and catch it, he should he should be able to come down with it. I thought it was a good enough throw. And he's trying to keep it away from the defense too because I think there are two defenders underneath of him. So he's trying. I can't underthrow this and give let them make a play on it, even though 
he really could because they were up like 35 nothing on that throw. <laughs> but, you know, don't want to. Don't want to turn the ball over, give him a chance to get back into the game. So I thought it was a really good throw uh, because there's not a huge margin for error. He has to put it and lead him. He can't underthrow it. And uh, I think it was there. I, I just I think Asiasi didn't come down with it. And that could even be Hayden Hurst runs that that much faster so Hayden Hurst would have caught it in stride but Asiasi is like 0.02 seconds slower or something so he doesn't catch it in stride instead it's overthrown and he has to make a diving catch because he probably doesn't throw that to Asiasi that often so he doesn't have the same rapport yeah I want to stick with the weapons right now we know what T Higgins Tyler Boyd is obviously Jamar Chase is out right now to be determined on when he returns but Trent Irwin and Trent Taylor are getting some love right now with this offense and what they've been able to do. When you went back to watch the tape, did anything really stand out about the two receivers? I thought they did a good job what they were asked to do. I thought it was interesting that they kept putting Tyler Boyd outside so that they could get Irwin on the inside. Or they'd play formations where they can get multiple slot receivers like we have talked about. They go empty. They put P-Run on, on the outside one play and Hurst on the outside at the same place, so you get three slots. So I thought it was interesting the way they used them. And then, yes, they did play well, too. Like, they were getting open. They were making good catches. They stepped up. They're not Jamar Chase, but they're doing what they can. And if they can do that while Jamar Chase is injured, that's that's enough. Because, like I was saying, I think this was a T. Higgins possible game if they didn't need it. That was the issue. Like, what, whatever they wanted, they got that he caught, I think, seven out of his eight targets. He only missed one uh, target that went his way. He didn't come down with. Um, caught seven out of eight. He was open on all of them. They weren't really contested catches. So a good job from all these wide receivers in general. And you got solid enough performance. You don't need the uh, Jerry Judy as your fourth wide receiver that <laughs> to step up. You, if you get good performance from these guys, it's fine. I wouldn't I... – I don't want to go back too much into the trade deadline, obviously, because it's over, but I need people on social media. I know it's fun to play GM when you think about the weapons, the Bengals and their medical staff know more about the timetable of Jamar Chase. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we heard about the injury. It's all about really just finding that wide receiver three and four. And you can even add Hayden Hurst in there. So maybe even move the wide receiver four and five of what you need right now. I think we know what Mike Thomas is. And they really showed that with the offense on Sunday, the guys getting the reps out of there. I wish Trent Irwin would have had that touchdown. It was so close. And I get why they didn't give it to him. But at the same time, that would have been really cool for Trent Irwin because Joe was giving the ball around to all of his different weapons. And that's one of the things we wanted to see. Obviously, Joe Mixon gets five touchdowns. So it was a Joe Mixon day. But Joe was uh Joe was spread the love to his weapons. I want to get to one receiver. We're going to move offensive linemen to the next segment. But maybe it was just a couple clips that I saw. And, and obviously, you're clipping them over on social media. Make sure you're following along. Bengals underscore Sands. You have great video clips, recaps from the games. Stanley Morgan. One of the things that Joe Burrow said about him, I want to say last year was, and oh gosh, I'm paraphrasing the quote just a little bit, but but I'll get to the point when he said, we wouldn't be the team we are without Stanley. There is a lot of love for Stanley Morgan in the offensive room. When number nine says that about you, when he had three healthy receivers out there and still preloaded offense, that Stanley Morgan is the difference maker. We talk about special teams, but he didn't have a too bad of a day too on uh, on some of the blocks out there. Yeah, um, the three come to mind, and I know he had more blocks than that, but three of them come to mind. The touchdown that was a toss play out of the shotgun. He does a good job of sealing his guy to the outside so that the corner can't make a play on it. Not like anything crazy. The better one is they run a crack toss from under center, and they jet motioned him to be the lead blocker. And the Panthers didn't react to the jet motion, do anything crazy. So he's able to get out in front, create numbers, and he makes a heck of a block on the outside on that one. The first one, that's a good block. This one was a really good, a great block. And then there was one more, and he didn't have to make a block, but they trusted him. They brought him in, ran the wineback play, which is, you know, it's, it's like a counter play, but no poolers. And I guess, except Stanley, you use a wide receiver as a lead blocker from the opposite side. So he comes running across, but Joe Mixon's already <laughs> got the outside and he's just kind of like trying to keep up like, Hey, I'm supposed to be blocking for you <laughs> running downfield. 
yeah, love Stanley. Like we had our debate about wide receiver four. It seems like you have the yeah. actual wide receiver four, but Stanley is my guy just because I think he gives you an element of something else. To me, Stanley is, I, I joke about it on Twitter. He kind of is the fullback of the team because he has, he didn't catch a ball yesterday or Sunday, but he made his impact blocking, lead blocking, getting out on the edge and sealing guys off for the run game. And when they want to lead blocking wide receiver and they have the time to make the switch, they're not in two-minute drill, it's Stanley that comes in. And that's – you don't want to be too predictable. I, I always hope that one day they'll run maybe back action and have that look like Stanley Morgan's coming across, oh, I'm lead blocking, and then he just runs a wheel or something. I want to, I want to catch a touchdown. He is a, a, technically a wide receiver, but even you know fullbacks, they they catch those passes. I want to see, I want to see a few Stanley Morgan targets eventually off play action. I, I think, I think he deserves it because he is the hardest blocking wide receiver and a great special teamer. I bet Joe Burrow is is calling for it. He's like, let's get Stanley Six. I, I think the whole team would be pumped to see him. And he just he's one of those guys. You even see him on social media sometimes after the game when they give the players the phone and, and he gets he gets pumped. And I can see why he's a big part of this offense, a little bit behind the scenes. But the only reason, not the only reason Trent Taylor was my wide receiver for in the preseason or you know, right before regular season, it's because of the AFC championship game. There's a reason why Samaj P. Ryan, when people are mean or disliked him after the Super Bowl, I'm like, I remember when he changed the game in the AFC Championship game. I remember when Trent Taylor caught the two-point conversion. So that's the reason I'm, I'm rooting, you know, hardcore for Trent Taylor. But I think if you have the guys in the room right now and you didn't have to put any money in the book, in the in like any anything in the books next year for some of those receivers that a lot of Twitter wanted on social media that would really just mess up their payroll going into the 2023 season. And I trust the front office. They've done enough over the last couple of years. Yes, I know people still criticize the offensive line, which we're getting to in our next segment, but they've done enough for me to trust what they're doing in the wide receiver room. And if they're just banking on these guys for the next couple of games, maybe it's one more game and Jamar Chase returns for the Tennessee game because if it's the Kansas City game, then yeah, it ended up being about four to five weeks for his return. But there seems to be some some optimism um, on Chase's return, and we'll we'll hear more about that as they get back to practice next week. All right, we'll be back next on it. <laughs> what were you gonna say? Ah, uh, nothing. I just <laughs> didn't feel like the end, but I guess the end of the segment we'll get to it in the was, next it one. Was, I did a bad job of doing that. I did a bad job of ending that segment because it just just went on and went on and used a bunch of extra words. So I apologize in advance. We're going to get to the second segment where you're just going to break down the offensive line next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. The offensive line, I said it before, give credit where it's due. I said it was Zach Taylor when everybody was hammering his play calling the last couple weeks. Then he comes out, feel like he calls a great game. Let's go O-line. What stands out for you when you look back on the game putting up 42? 
Uh, first play in, in my mind is the explosive spleen, spleen screen play. <laughs> I was combining screen and play spleen, but um, so this is the first time they ran a screen play that went for an explosive game. They've had some okay ones. They've had some bad ones, but this is the first time that it's sprung open and that was Joe Mixon's longest catch of the year. The highlight of the play, other than Joe Mixon making guys miss after the play gets sprung and he's in the open field, is Cordell Volson. He does an awesome job of stopping, letting his guy get upfield, shoots out, and he takes his guy and drives him to the sideline. That's what opens it up. Ted Karras gets just enough of his guy on the backside, and now he it's just Mixon and room to run. And he does an awesome job at that, but it doesn't happen without that block from Cordell Volson. The next play I could think of is Lalo Collins pooling and destroying somebody. I, I just have to think the corner is just rethinking, you know, life <laughs> in that moment. He's, he's getting blocked by a wide receiver. And then Lalo Collins pulls around. This is like vintage Lalo Collins like he was in Dallas. Pulls around to lead on this toss play. And he just explodes into the corner and thunderous pancake. And he stays on his feet and he goes downfield. He blocks somebody else. Um, almost, uh, you really wish he would have got that second pancake so you can get the, the two pancakes in one play, the real rare occurrence. It happens once in a while. But he only gets the one, but it was a thunderous one that was almost worth like one and a half. So awesome play from him. And then my favorite play it was in the run game from this offensive line was GT counter. GT counter is a guard and a tackle are going to pull. And then everybody else is going to kind of gap power block. So you get a back block from Ted Karras. He does a good enough job on the nose tackle that nose tackle can't make a play. The combo, the double team from Alex Kappa and Law Collins is so good. They drive this defensive tackle six, seven yards down the field and into the backside linebacker. Nobody comes off the block to take the backside linebacker. The defensive tackle makes that block because he's just so far downfield, the linebacker can't get through. So that opens the play up. They pull Ted, uh, Ted. They pull Cordell Volson to kick out. On this counterplay, you have a kickout block and a wrap block as your pulls. So he kicks out the guy. He doesn't get a ton of movement or anything. Doesn't need to because the double team from Captain Collins was so awesome and had so much displacement on it that all you have to do is just seal the guy he does a good job at that he gets his head on the right side he gets his butt on the right side and he just seals him off so that makes that somewhere to run and then the last thing you need is what jonah williams does where he pulls around and he goes up to the second level and he just blocks the first linebacker that shows up so he takes him you got a seal there you got a seal from volson you got an alley to run because kappa and collins just took a guy seven yards downfield and blocked a linebacker two in the process. And Joe Mix is just gone. And Joe Mix makes another guy miss in the open field. But we've talked so much about it. it was an awesome Joe Mixon game. It was an awesome Joe Mixon game. It wasn't just like, you know, we're just playing lip service and he had a bunch of great blocks. He made all these guys miss. So he makes a guy miss in the open field, gets another sort of 20 yards or something, 15 yards and just awesome play all around. I, I got so excited seeing that on the film because they haven't run GT counter at all this year. This is their first play. They, they ran it. They've run G Y counter, which is a tight end as that wrap block. But this time they used Jonah Williams and Williams does a better job than the tight end at that. So I got real excited about that being a possibility in the future. Only issue is uh, they kind of play it as if it's a read. I, there's no read on that play. Joe, Joe Burrow is not keeping that. I don't think, I mean, I'll be surprised, uh, but I don't think Joe Burrow is going to keep that even if the end crashes. So they need to find a way to hold that guy um, without it being a read because eventually teams will be like, oh, those guys both pull. I'll just go tackle a running back there. <laughs> Burrow's not keeping that. So they need to find a way to keep it honest, whether it's an RPO or um, a jet motion or something going back that way. But uh, I just – I was hooting and hollering when I saw that play on the film because I thought I saw it on the broadcast, but I didn't want to say anything. So like, it's so hard to tell run plays apart on broadcast, but then I got to, it. I was like, yes, it was what I thought it was.
You could have said it and people would just believe you. They'd be like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. That's what I do every time you tweet something. I just retweet it. I'm like, yeah, look at that play. He called that. Uh, but, but I want to go back to the offensive line in just a moment. But you you bring up Joe Mixon. He was on the Richard Sherman podcast, which I felt like was a great interview. Highly recommend checking out the volume. Joe Burrow does one with Colin Calvert on the same platform. And it was just really good. Him talking about Joe Burrow. He talked a little bit about the AFC championship game, but also just him this past weekend. Um, one of the things, and and you can criticize me too, because I talked about it on the last podcast is definitely owed Joe Mixon an apology after the way he came out this past week. He said, Brian Callahan came into the meetings on Saturday and he was just fired up. He's like, I don't know if it was because his daughter, she's young, she was sick or tired. I, I don't know, but he was fired up. And I was like, heck, hell yeah, coach. I'm with you. Let's go, bro. And I, I don't, Again, we, we, we like to criticize coaching. We like to criticize play calling and all of that. But but when a player like Joe Mixon, obviously he says he's not paying attention to the social media stuff, but it's out there. Someone's going to tell you in your friend group or even some of the players on the team, you know people are saying that about you when you're not Joe Mixon to start the season. And, you know, he has a career franchise day. He credits what, what he hears from Callahan and, and just the team overall, what they have on offense, their offensive line. And I, I think I, I said Ted Karras did the Gronk spike. It, it was Cordell Bolson, and I apologize for that because it was really well done, and he actually has it on his Instagram. But but overall, when you think of Joe Mixon, you went back and watched the tape. We, we've talked about Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, who I feel all called the plays. They all come together and, and get the best play out. It, is this something that it's going to be really hard to top five touchdowns again in, in his career, but is this something that it's like Joe Mixon is healthy. He looks good. They can continue just half of this with their run game because you do that. You balance out this offense. Even if you get Jamar chase back in a couple of games, you are going to be unstoppable. What else do you credit Joe Mixon's day to? Um, like I mentioned, the wide receiver blocking, that, that's a big part of it. I, I think the, the way the Panthers play defense gave them some advantage and they knew how to attack it because they like to get upfield. They like to send those ends up the field to rush the quarterback and they attack them with these toss plays and different things that, you know, that, that toss, the toss player usually requires a tight end or a wide receiver to make that block on that end. And the, the Bengals have been hammered online for that's uh, malpractice to ask a wide receiver to block an end. Every team does it. It's just when they're playing slow and they see that block coming, it doesn't go well. That, that's what Odafe Owe did to Stanley Morgan is he saw it coming and now you're screwed. But when they don't see it coming, all you have to do is really just get in their way and it does enough, especially when they're trying to get up field like that. So I think they saw something on film to attack. Maybe that's what Brian Callen was so excited about. He was like, ooh, we finally get one of these teams that likes to play fast. So let's take advantage of that and have them run the wrong way. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if Mix will be able to top this game, but I do think that this isn't an anomaly. I think this is something that – I don't know if it's sustainable to do this, to have seven yards per carry even on lower efficient on lower volume – but I do think that this is something – because he's averaged over five yards of carry twice this year, and it was in the recent games when I've been hammering about this schematic change. They ran a couple – a couple. I think GT counter was the only new play they ran in this game. They only ran it once. So they ran that new play. But other than that, it's plays they, they've been running since that schematic change. And um, – I think that's the big difference is that they have become so effective at running from the gun that they used to have this issue where they had an under center offense. They had a gun offense and the under center offense wasn't up to snuff and the gun offense was good, but they couldn't run the ball. Now they can run the ball from there. They really don't have a need for the under center stuff, even though they still get to it. You don't know what's coming based off formation anymore. So I think that the offense is going to hit more of a groove, a stride. And like I've also said, Joe Mixon looks healthy. He didn't look healthy for a while there. Now that he looks healthy, they've got a good system for these offensive linemen, and it marries with their pass game really well. I think this offense is going to start hitting its stride at the perfect time because they need to with the opponents coming up. If you're Zach Taylor, this guy has five touchdowns in the game. You know the record is six. Is it hard for you to keep him on the sidelines and not put him in, try to get one more? 
Yes, and uh, I think Taylor thought that too because he went back out there when uh, the guys were pulled. He ran two plays, and then I think Taylor went, what am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) He pulled him out of there, but I think – I think if they ended up around the five-yard line, Nixon would have gone back out. But they weren't going to run him from 60 yards away and try to, you know, just run him down the field. They they didn't care about him getting 200 yards. They cared about him getting the record, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be if they worked the ball down the field, which they got the field goal range. They couldn't get close enough to get to the red zone or inside the uh, – even closer down there. So they, they didn't give them the shot on offense. The backup offense couldn't do it. But I do think if they got down there, they would have given them the chance. I don't know if you feel that way. Yeah, 100% I'm putting them in. But I agree with you. The thing is, when I, I – again, I need to do better just watching the game versus looking on Twitter what's going on. But everyone's like, oh, Brandon Allen's going on. I'm like, no way. It's the third quarter. Why in the world? Give us a little more Joe Burrow because I was selfish and I wanted another touchdown. It was too much fun. Um, I wanted them to get in the 50s, which I think they could have if, if Joe plays, you know, in the beginning of the fourth, which is Zach Taylor made a great decision. I have no problem at all with taking Joe Burrow out. When you have Brandon Allen out there, you can continue to keep running the ball with some of your backups, and they did a fine job. Uh, so there was no no problem with that decision. I do want to hit a little bit on Cordell Volson, um, you know, getting some love out there a little nationally being the rookie guard that he is. And, uh, you know, we've talked about him here and there on the podcast. I think a lot of people questioned the pick when they did draft him like, oh, OK, well, I need to read a little more about him. And and if, is he going to start right away? And, and then when they made that decision right before the season started, that Cordell would be their starting guard. We know what guard play has looked like in Cincinnati for six, seven years now. When you watch him play, does he bring any comparison from when guard play was good with this offensive line? Yeah, I think so. I, I, he's not, I don't think he's like a Bobby Williams or a Kevin Zeitler or somebody like that, but I do think he has the potential to be like a Clint Bowling type. I, I don't think he's there yet, but he, he still has a little bit of rookie inconsistency. He's so much better than I thought he would be because I went back and watched him after the draft pick and I went, Ooh, I don't think this guy can start yet. Cause he's got, you know, he doesn't do a good job. They didn't ask him to pass protect much. And it looked like they didn't ask him to pass protect much. I was like, well, if you're going to play for the Bengals, you gotta be able to pass protect because main goal is to keep nine upright. Um, but Jackson Carmen doesn't improve. Cordo Wilson does improve. I think that is a feather in the cap of Frank Pollock to get a late fourth rounder that from an FCS school that didn't look like he did much pass protection at all to come in and be solid or at least, you know, adequate on the offensive line. He had a good game. This is one of his uh, best games. So I think that he could be a Clint Bowling type and that that is you need those. I don't fully believe in the, you just need no donkeys. You just, you know, we just need an all okay offensive lineman. To me, I think you want a guy that you can rely on, whether the defense is getting all these crazy fronts, uh, you know, on a chalkboard, you're going to do this protection, but then you've got that guy, you've got that Laramie Tunsil, Law Collins when he's fully healthy, if he can get there, that you just go, I don't care. I'm going to block. I'm going to block it this way. I'm going to slide all the help away from all Collins and give help over there because I can. And, um, or in the run game where you just go, we're going to keep running it behind that guy. Like a Trent Williams, you know, we're just going to keep running it behind Trent. So I, I, I don't think they have that right now. Maybe Collins can get healthy and be something close to that. But, and, and he was in the run game this game. I will say, I think that in the run game, he was that guy that you just, oh, we're going to keep running behind Collins. So, a long way to say, I think he, he looks like he's going to be a solid starting offensive lineman and he's looked like a good rookie. Yeah. And I think it's okay for this team who has struggled drafting offensive linemen to just take the L on Jackson Carmen. I mean, he's getting healthy scratches in games. He's not even the backup on this team. He's a part of the roster because they don't want it to impact anything right now. And I'm sure they'll cut ties at the end of the season and just move on from Jackson Carmen, right? He's on the wall and that's totally fine. If you get this guy in the draft and he ends up working out, everybody forgets about a pick that you missed on because they've been able to hit on a lot of their draft picks over the last couple of years. And, you know, just credit to the front office there. There's one more person I want to hit on the offensive line, but we are running late in this segment. We're going to get to it next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.
It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati by week edition, but we are still here. Our guy, Bengals underscore Sands, Mike Santagata, went back, watched the tape, found amazing stuff from this 42 to 21 win for this offense. I said I wanted to hit on one more person for this offensive line. Hakeem Adeniji. The reason why he stands out when he was drafted, I remember Dave Lapham really talking him up and just saying, this is going to be a gym on this team. It's going to take time to develop. A lot of people felt like he played out of position last year when he had to start on a really beat up, injured offensive line, but he's getting a few opportunities out there to show, Hey, this guy, just give him time to develop over the last couple of years in the NFL. And, and maybe he can really be a part of depth future of what you're building on your offensive line when he is out there. What do you think about Hakeem right now? I think he's a solid swing tackle. I don't think he's, I wouldn't trust him yet to start. And maybe that's just PTSD from last year. Still, Oh no, I don't want him to start, <laughs> <laughs> but he's looked okay when he's had to go in. He looked good in this past game when he went in there after the starters went out and as the extra offensive lineman, he didn't just today. He, he was one, one of the blockers, one of the key blocks on a Joe Mixon touchdown run, I believe his last one, but it was um, still starters in there. He was just an extra offensive lineman. And they ran that a few times. They had the extra offensive lineman come in. He had this one block and I, I'm pretty sure you saw it. Cause I think you, uh, attacked Duke. Yep. Yeah. Oh my goodness, did he look athletic pulling around on this uh, toss play? He's going to pull and lead around, and he is sprinting downfield, and he looks so good to me, just athletic. He doesn't get a huge pancake or anything like that, but he gets enough of the corner that he can't make a play on it right away and just works his way downfield until the running back eventually passes him because the running back is faster. But he looked, he just looks so athletic on it, and I thought that was an awesome play to watch because it's just like, yeah, he is – He's got good feet. He's he's athletic. He's a little bit of a weapon if he ever plays, especially as that extra offensive lineman. You can use him in interesting ways. He's not just a plotter. He's a good athlete. So I liked what I saw. I still, like I said, oh. I'd be very nervous if he had to start, even though I think he's a solid swing tackle. I think most teams, if they're swing tackle plays, they're nervous. So that would go away if he went into a game and he played really well. And then I'd be like, okay, uh, maybe I'm fine with uh, Adenji playing a game here or there. But yeah, I liked what I saw from him. Yeah, 100%. We we know it right now. Hakeem can just be that extra offensive lineman. Um, I, I like the tackles who are out there at the moment. I know how people feel about Jonah Williams right now. But we will move on to one of the things I heard and was asked about after the game when we talk about the offensive line performance, when we talk about Joe Mixon and what this offense was able to do in a bounce back game, what we really wanted to see when they played Cleveland um, about a week ago and they were unable to do is was it a good performance or was this just a bad team they were going up against when you think of the Panthers? It's a little bit of both, right? Because they were doing it on the Panthers right away. Derek Brown eventually leaves the game. He's probably their best run defender and he leaves the game eventually, but they were still, they were still dominating in the trenches before he left. And then when he leaves, you know, the whole thing just falls apart. But I think, 
this on paper was a very good run defense. They were top 10 by almost every metric in run defense. Nobody was talking about, let's just pound the rock on this Panthers team. It was, well, they, they've got, you know, they don't have healthy corners and the Bengals receivers are still good and Joe Burrow passing attack, all that stuff. No, nah, they, they just, they pounded it. And um, I don't think people really saw that coming. This is kind of the game I was hoping and kind of, thought might happen against Cleveland because Cleveland had a really bad run defense, but they didn't, they fell down early. They didn't try it too often. They got away from it. All these things. Mixon didn't play as well. He had a bad game against Cleveland. Then he has the best game of his life against the Panthers. So I think it's a little bit of both. That's usually what it is, right? It's usually not one team did all this. The other team, you know, they were great, but they just got dominated. They didn't play well. When you get dominated like that, you don't play well. But I don't think on paper or anything, it's a terrible run defense. So you could take a little bit away from it. This wasn't just the Panthers falling down and, you know, not making tackles. The offensive line dominated them. Joe Mixon was making everybody miss and running through contact. And the scheme looked really good in this game, even though I do think this was more of a execution thing than it was a schematic thing. Honestly, you, you watched this game. It was their first complete game by this team. And yes, they didn't play most of the fourth quarter. So it was a complete three quarters uh, for this team for, for who was out there in, in the first and second half. But I agree. I, you hear that too much after a loss because going into the game, I think there were a lot of people like, Ooh, this could be a close one. And and we talked about that. I mean, you listen to people predicting the game, Paul Daner, Jay Morrison, like, Hey, it could be, it could be really anything. I don't think they're going to hit 30 in this one, but, uh, but they'll, they'll, they'll come out with a dub and, and they were able to get the win. It's not easy to win and it's not easy to dominate. And they just dominated this game. And honestly, it felt like that when they played the Atlanta Falcons too, they should really just get that playoff position from the NFC South um, because they dominate their division. So just go ahead and give it to Cincinnati. There, there's a lot of AFC teams in the playoffs. Just go ahead and crown them division champs of the NFC South. They're about to play Tampa in December, and they could go undefeated against that division, that terrible, brutal division. Uh, but but let's flip sides to the defense. I think some great news today. Obviously, it was a late practice. When you go into bye week before you take about four to five days off, you're not going to do anything hardcore. Even their social media had all the players smiling. They knew they were getting some days off. Dax Hill, who uh, Zach Taylor said was week to week, was in uniform. It was a late practice uh, to be determined on, on what he looks like if he's good to go when they play the Steelers. But one of the things we've talked about is just kind of they're dealing with these secondary injuries with Cheeto out really was kind of bum when Dax left the game. Cause I thought, Oh man, this might be his time to get some opportunities out there with this defense. And maybe Lou will move him around a little bit. When you think of the secondaries, I mean, Cam Taylor Britt in his second start, you get Eli Apple out there still feel like they could bring in maybe another body, but the players who were out there in the cornerback room and, and even I felt like Jesse Bates, it, it was good to see him get an interception uh, because he's been criticized a little bit this season. What did you think defensively about this team? And I don't even want to talk about the garbage touchdowns. Baker Mayfield, a lot of people want to make that something that it isn't. And it really wasn't out of hand. I mean, the stadium was half empty by the time Baker Mayfield threw his first touchdown pass in the second half. So it was, it was over, but what did you think defensively? Um, I think Louis did a good job of putting his guys in a position to succeed. And then to go with that, I thought Jesse Bates was incredible in this game. He, it wasn't just the interception. He was, they put him underneath and he's taking away the first read, forcing PG Walker into coverage sacks. He's playing over the top and giving help to uh, Cam Taylor Britt, who got beat on that one play. He got called for illegal contact. He, that's Cam Taylor Britt's guy. It wasn't a true bracket or anything. Bates just sees that and he doesn't have a threat from the number two on the inside. So he just keeps getting over the top and it almost ends up in an interception. Although it would have been negated by the penalty, whatever. Uh, it almost was an interception on the field. It was a weak penalty too. So <laughs> it could have been an interception if the official doesn't call that and he comes down with it. But he, he was in a good position throughout most of the game, gave help. To these corners uplifted the defense this is when i think of jesse bates at his best as a safety he's able to take what shouldn't be a good secondary on paper because you got a second round rookie you've got eli apple who i thought played really well and then you've got not even your starting slot corner you've got um i, I don't know was it yeah udfa whatever he's he's like the sixth corner on the team at slot corner and he uplifts them and 
makes them into a starting caliber unit, if not better than that, because of his play at safety. So I want to give him a lot of credit. I want to give Lou some credit because he did some stuff that confused Walker. He, Without uh, the corner, it seemed like he decided to devote more resources into the coverage aspect. He was dropping his defensive linemen, drop eight, all this other stuff more often than I think he normally does. So he's trying to sell out a little bit on getting extra bodies and coverage to help make up for missing your number one corner instead of sending extra guys and trying to speed up the quarterback. That was going to be interesting. That's what I was looking for uh, in this game. Which one, which way is he going to go? Cause there's theory on either one. So I thought he did a good job there. He made it confusing. And then obviously shout out to Jermaine Pratt to come up with that interception. That was a really athletic play. That was a really good read from him. That was Awesome. Uh, about 20 yards of depth mm -hmm. when he makes that catch. Uh, awesome. That That's on a chalkboard. You don't think that guy is going there. PJ didn't think he was going to be dropping that far. They were doing a lot right because they had more interception return yards than PJ Walker had passing yards at halftime when the game was over. Yeah. And the thing is, you go back to, we're recording this on a Tuesday night. You go back to Monday and we're recording that that podcast after the Monday night football game and it and it felt like two L's because they lost the game so badly on national TV, but that they also lost Cheeto. And one of the things that I thought was really cool and you heard from Cheeto now, obviously losing him was devastating and it still is. And I believe me, if they could have him back, I'd be so happy right now. Um, but we heard him in the locker room and just saying like, look, I'm going to still be a part of this and, and I'm going to still be in these meeting rooms. Cheeto, could sit in a suite for that game. Cheeto could sit anywhere. He could sit at home if he wanted to. He was on crutches on the sideline for that game. And maybe, you know, I'm, I'm, I see too much into it and I get optimistic. Like, oh, Cheeto's like a coach. He's there in the, in the secondary room on the defensive side. He's helping Lou. But I truly believe that, you know, Cheeto is out there helping these younger guys. Uh, you know, you talk about some of the, free agents and some of the guys they pick up some of the guys who we saw in training camp were like oh you know they could be a bright star when you think about this cornerback room and it never really works out um, but I think he's still going to be a big part of what we see defensively and you mentioned Lou uh, we talk about this offense really finally getting it together and a, and a great time for them to do it when you look at the second half slate of games I mean Pittsburgh is never going to be easy except for last year <laughs> and then you move on to the Titans you have the Chiefs Deshaun, everybody knows Josh Allen, and then Lamar Jackson. That is definitely some hardcore offenses that you're going to go against. And when losing Cheeto, I definitely thought about the second half of the season because it's going to be hard to win your division. It's hard to be a wild card in the AFC right now. You're right there, right in the middle of a lot of teams competing for those wild card spots. And I think about Lou because he gives you faith what he did to Lamar Jackson last year twice. He shows you what he did to Patrick Mahomes twice. Yeah, the first half of the games always looked ugly, but he made adjustments at halftime and just showed the league, this is how you stop Patrick Mahomes at home, Arrowhead Stadium. And I'll still think about that from Lou. And I trust that he's going to be able to get these guys together, these pieces, this depth. They could have DJ Reader back for the second half of the season, which is absolutely huge. And the guys who have been able to step up is uh, pretty amazing after he got injured in week three is that I believe, I believe in their defensive coordinator. I truly do. Um, I, there, I have very little faith that he's going to be on the coaching staff next year. Selfishly, I hope he is. Um, but he's, he's going to get these guys running. I know it's the Carolina Panthers, but again, it's the NFL. It's never easy to win. And when you have that guy on the sidelines, I do trust that, yeah, it's going to be difficult the second half, but this guy's going to have the guys ready. I don't think you mentioned it, but they also do play Brady in the Bucks, which on oh, paper, I forget Tom Brady. Oh my on gosh. paper, Great, great matchup for them. If, that one does scare me a tiny bit because Brady's the type that uh, he'll pick on those corners uh, if they're covering Mike Evans on their own. Uh, I, th I think he's the type that'll just like, I'll just keep going to Mike Evans every single play until you show me you can stop it. So some some guys don't do that. I think Brady is a guy that would do that. <laughs> As Nick points out, Brady is 1-0 since getting divorced. Maybe Ooh. his mind's in the right place now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! Uh, yeah, their offense didn't look that good against the Rams, so I'm not going to think too much about it. But that is funny. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that it's still maybe it's just me thinking about Tom Brady and what he used to be and everything like that. Whenever I watch him, I think he looks good. 
I'm still a little bit worried about it because the thing I'm worried about is almost less the Chiefs, which sounds crazy because they're the Chiefs, but they don't have that guy at wide receiver I'm worried about. They don't have Stephon Diggs, Mike Evans, whoever. That's what I'm worried about because you don't have a guy right now on defense that you could trust for a few plays to take that wide receiver and uh, just have your trust that that guy's going to be okay. Cheeto is okay when he guards Justin Jefferson for a handful of snaps or whoever. So they don't have that guy right now. They have to work around it. I trust Lou can, but I am a little bit more nervous about the teams that have a dominant number one outside receiver than I am anything else. Yeah. I, at the, at the halfway point of the season, then obviously we'll, we'll look ahead to the Steelers next week, but I feel like you have to win five games to get in the playoffs. I truly do. And that's not even your division, uh, the wild card, at least five. And and look, it could be more. Uh, and that's not going to be easy at all. But man, if if this offense is just getting started and the defense can can do enough the back half of the season, Joe Burrow, give him the MVP now, because that is not that's not easy. That is not an easy slate of games. Uh, we look at the Ravens and what they have the second half of the season, and it feels like a cakewalk, even though it's a week-to-week league. Uh, I, I just it's, – it's, I mean, it's going to be fun to talk about. I'm excited to do podcasts on on all the matchups. But, yeah, they're, they're just getting – the exciting part of the season is just getting started. Yeah, and I think the four games thing would, would be okay to get to nine and eight and make it, but they've just not – they don't have the AFC division, any of those records to – vault them over the other teams when it comes to tiebreakers they've beaten actually a lot of these wildcard teams are going up against so if there's just two nine and eight teams they do get the tiebreaker but if there's three which there probably will be <laughs> then it goes to like your afc record i believe and they're not they're not too hot there the, the other teams have better afc records so far maybe if you just win all your afc games <laughs> yeah lose your, lose your nine and eight, then maybe you get in still but i do think you got to shoot for 10 to get in that wild card 10 wins should get you in no matter what uh just because there's gonna be teams you know if you're tied with teams maybe you don't have the tiebreaker on them because the afc wins if you're tied with one team maybe you end up getting the five seed or the six seed but i do think 10 wins and you're in nine you gotta you gotta pray uh, there's a lot has to go right for you and you don't want to be in that situation no, no, it should be a pretty fun uh, friend to talk about. I say that right now because we're going into bye week and we don't have to stress about football for another uh, five to seven, ten days until they get back to action. I don't even know what day of the week it is, but I know they play on the 20th. And I'm a shout out to the TV networks for flexing that game out of prime time. I know some fans like when a team is on prime time, I am forever team one o'clock, even though it's a 425 game, more than likely in Tony Romo, Jim Nance, and I'm our totally guys. cool with it. Our guys, our people. I'm, I'm here for it. But uh, you have plenty on all Bengals. What's up there right now? Uh, I mean, I had to write about Joe Mixon in the wrong game. Yeah, of course. I mean, what else happened in that game? Uh, yeah, make sure you check it out. Bengals underscore Sansi has some great highlights from the game after watching the tape on Sunday. And uh, you can follow me at, at LNDS Patterson. As always, thank you for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.